and turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Let's hope Julie and Cody aren't in that trailer for three years. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it might be that, but uh, let's hope that's not going to be the case. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 42 and 43, and yes, I do understand I'm handling large chunks at a time, but again, we are trying to follow the narrative, and narrative passages usually are larger portions, and so we are following the storyline, and we want to handle uh, this uh, account. So a little lengthier read, but um, we'll, we'll cover it without any problem, I don't think. Jeremiah chapter 42, and I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. It says, Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan the son of Karian, Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people, from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please, let our petition be acceptable to you, and pray for us to the Lord your God, for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see. Let the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard. Indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God, to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And it happened after ten days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he called Johanan the son of Kariah and all the captains of the forces which were with him and all the people from the least even to the greatest and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him, if you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet, nor be hungry for bread, and there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then as shall be it, the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you are afraid shall follow you close after, or follow close after you there in Egypt. And there you shall die. So it shall be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
As my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt. And you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us, to the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we'll do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. Now it happened. When Jeremiah had stopped speaking to all the people all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, all these words, that Azariah, the son of Hoshaiah, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the proud men spoke, saying to Jeremiah, You speak falsely. The Lord our God has not sent you to say, Do not go to Egypt to dwell there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us in the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may put us to death or carry us away captive to Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces, all the people who would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah, but Johan the son of Korea and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to dwell in the land of Judah from all nations where they had been driven, men, women, children, the king's daughters, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah. So they went to the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they went as far as Tapanis. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and Tapanis, saying, Take large stones in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah, in the clay in the bricks courtyard, which is at the entrance to Pharaoh's house in Tapanis, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and bring Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and will spread his royal pavilion over them. When he comes, he will strike the land of Egypt and deliver to death those appointed for death into captivity, those appointed for captivity, and those to the sword, those appointed for the sword. I will kindle a fire in the houses of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive, and he shall array himself with the land of Egypt as a shepherd puts on his garment, and he shall go out from there in peace. He shall also break the sacred pillars of Beth Shemesh that are in the land of Egypt and the houses of the gods of the Egyptians. He shall burn with fire. Well, as we continue through our study in Jeremiah, we come to perhaps, if not the worst, the second worst passage, I think, in the book. Um, Worse in terms of what it records for us among the people of Judah. We read through chapter 41 and get very excited, and maybe that's why it is so devastating, is because it's like, yes. And then our expectations and encouragement is just dashed violently against the rocks of their stubbornness. 
of their disbelief. We get to chapters 42 and 43, and we find them, I'm sorry, 43 and 44, and we find them in open rebellion once again. And we say, how can this be? How can it be? And yet, we all know that really in our hearts this happens time after time. And every pastor in ministry recognizes that it happens far too frequently. In the life of each of us and lives of our churches, And the results are evident. For the hand of the Lord that intends good, desires to bless, is withheld. Not because of his desire, but because of our desire. And so we come into a very difficult passage. And as I shared at the beginning of the study, the study of this book, um, I have been praying diligently that you endure. Um, better than the people of Judah, the teaching of Jeremiah. And so we'll do this morning as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you and genuinely state that. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this account that you have not sugar-coated anything. You have revealed truth boldly definitively, directly. Lord, I thank you that you are not politically correct, but that you are loving. You provide us with this clear passage of warning, of your expectations, of your requirements, of your love and of your faithfulness and your wrath, that they are not an antithesis to another, one another, but all consistent with who you are, with your grace and mercy toward man. Lord, as, your, as a people that claim to be called by your name, we come before you and pray that you might find us a different ilk than what we find among Judah in the passage before us. But Lord, we know in our hearts and in our experience that we cannot disassociate ourselves from them too much. And so Lord, we pray that you might touch us by your spirit to convict us that we might be not resistant, but responsive to receive that and allow it to transform us more and more into the image of your Son. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Jerusalem's been destroyed. An insurrection has occurred even after God permitted Judah, the outline regions, Jerusalem, the city was destroyed. Most of its residents did not survive. However, the outlying communities and those that had fleed from the Babylonians into other nations like Moab and Edom and places like that um, 
were gathered together and God preserved them and uh, under the subjugation of Babylon were allowed a level of liberty and the Babylonians established Gedaliah. We saw that rebellion happen last week and the results of that. And uh, as uh, the attempt was made to draw them toward the Ammonites uh, in rebellion against God's plan for them and yet we saw some heroes raised up among the, the Judah, and there they go and deliver their people, and we say, and we applaud it. Yes, you understood, and they bring them back into the land, um, but they are full of fear. And you might say, well, heroes are full of fear? Yes, um, probably more so than a lot of people. They realize the ramifications of what have happened, and they are afraid of the rumors of whether they will they will be what will happen to us um, and this is what's going to drive most of what you're going to read in these next three chapters of 41 42 and 43 is their fear um, fear of reprisals from Babylon over this even though it wasn't any of their fault and they've already taken measures against the one who instigated the problems um, through deceit and violence. And we find that that was resolved, and yet they don't know if the truth would ever get to Babylon. And that was a primary fear driving most of their decisions. But you also have wrapped up in their responses a fear, really, of, um, of a repeat of what happened to Jerusalem. But their fear was misfounded and misdirected because they were too much children of Jerusalem and not children of God. And so all of their fears, all of their trepidation over what might happen and could occur drove them, first of all, we seemingly in the right direction, but we discover very quickly from God's own mouth that that was just empty that was show. That was appearance only. We find them running, trying to run away. Run away from sometimes imaginary problems, um, certainly running away from the sights and sounds of their capital city and ruins and destruction and the misery that is recorded there. But ultimately they're running away from God. And so let's look into the account here in chapter 41 and see the expectation. We find that all the leaders gather themselves together. We find that they have delivered, brought back the uh, remnant of Judah. This is not all of Israel, but just of Judah, a, a small portion. Remember, these really weren't residents of Jerusalem, for they were carried away captive or destroyed. Um, this is really outlying areas. And we come then to chapter 42, and we find uh, them asking a very blessed thing. And we go, how wonderful that they ask. Chapter 42, verse 2, it says, They said to Jeremiah the prophet, Please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God, for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. 
they come to the man of God, and I want to remind you of the history here a little bit. The man of God that their peers in Jerusalem mistreated with in two ways. First, they disregarded this prophet. They simply didn't listen, didn't care, and there was a disregard for the words of Jeremiah. Um, we're going to go after the gods we want, you, and this is just the way it is, and we have the women in full rebellion with the permission of the husbands. We have them worshiping the queen of heaven in their homes. We have them worshiping Baal in the temple area. Um, we have all these hideous things, and they just totally disregarded Jeremiah. That disregard as the attacks came from Babylon as the siege was being laid against the city walls, that disregard for Jeremiah's message turned into disdain for Jeremiah and his message. It did not turn into repentance. Um, it turned into disdain, and they moved from we don't care to we hate you. And there was obviously opposition. They were putting him in prison, wanting to kill him, wanting to throw him in a, they threw him into a pit, um, and only by God's uh, special intervention through some individuals was he delivered. And so this was, this was their peers in the city of Jerusalem. And now these in the outlying areas, it looks like they're going to be moving away. And they don't have disregard. And they don't have disdain. They come with great respect. And they come with a request. And, and, it, and it, on its front, on its face, it looks genuine. And you say, well, praise the Lord. Um, they finally got it right after the destruction. And this is what we need to understand. Disregard and disdain for the truth brings destruction. I know these are all D's. Keep up. There's going to be more of them coming. <laughs> Most of the rest are going to be dis. Um, but uh, destruction comes. God has destroyed Jerusalem. And now the question is, can the rest the, the rest of Judah and the outlying areas, can they learn? And it seems like we have gone from disregard and disdain to some level of discernment. And we say, oh, we need to be asking the man of God to ask God to pray for us and to direct us. In verses 2 and 3, we find them. Pray for us that are left we need to know what to do, and, and what a great thing for your newfound leaders. And remember, we talked about this last week. This is not the best and brightest. Um, this isn't the second best and brightest. This probably isn't even the third best and brightest of Israel. Um, they have been destroyed or carried off into Babylon. Um, this is what's left. This is third, fourth, fifth tier leadership. Remember, Gedaliah was, was the best that Nebuzaradan saw, and he's been murdered and all who are with him in his court. So we are getting way down the list in terms of quality of leadership. And so, but here they do come, and, and we might say, well, it may be in their humble state as a nation, and as humble leadership, we think, well, they're going to be responsive, and, and what a great start to these men leading Israel, leading Judah. Um, they go off and they, they do a, a feat of, of delivering those being tried to carry off to Ammon. They bring them back and then they come to the prophet with great regard and they have this wonderful request and we, we say, what a great start. Maybe things, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel, but if you are putting your trust in men, you are a fool. 
And so here it looks good, and the request is a powerful one. And uh, it points really to an understanding that people understand the purpose of the man of God. Here is your purpose, and it is threefold. And they lay it out very clearly and concisely. Uh, and I'm going to have to give it concisely this morning as well. Um, pray for us. And throughout Scripture, you find the men of God understanding that their role with regard to God's people is to pray for them. This goes for the prophets. It goes for the priests. It goes into the New Testament with the apostles who say, we shouldn't be serving tables. Our responsibility is twofold. We need to pray for the people and we need to teach them God's words. We need to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. Here, the remnant left over, these people who have been involved in horrific false worship understand the man of God's responsibility is to pray for them and to guide them into God's truth. And so they say, we want to know two things from the Lord through you. Verse 3, we want to know the way we should go and the thing we should do. We want you to instruct us from the Lord where we should be going, what, the way, what, what, what's our future, where is our future, and what is it that he wants us to do so that we have his blessing in that future. How should I be going? What is my way? What is my walk? How should I be behaving? And what is it particularly that God wants us to do as we walk the way of Christ on earth? What is my place? What is our responsibility towards him in this new setting of, of um, being under Babylon and now having uh, Gedaliah murdered um, through a rebellion of one man, not of a whole nation, one man. One man's deceit and violence. Initiate all this, but now the people are responding in error, as we're going to see. But they start off right. We say, well, this is, these are good words. Pastor, prophet, pray for us. Tell us what God wants us, how he wants us to live, and what he wants us to do. And I believe these are two very different things they're asking for. They're asking for a direction for their life, and then specifically, how do we handle this circumstance right now? And in the teaching of God's word, it is not simply the impartation of the knowledge that is the responsibility of the teacher. It is not just for me to tell you, here's what God's word says, but rather to apply it to your life to say, Based upon God's word, here's the direction your life should be taking. Here's the path you should be on. Here's the manner of living that we should all share. And then, even further, particularly, how do we address these circumstances we confront along life's way? And we're, we're really good with pastor pray for us. We're really good with that. We, we, you know, that's okay. Pastor, pray for us. That one's great. Um, because it doesn't engage us very much. It's between it's pastor and God. They got to deal with it. Um, that's his job. And so we're okay with that one. We get to the second part. Pa show us the manner of life. And we're generally okay with that because it's general terms. It's about what's the Christian life like. And we're cool with that. You know, that's his job. He's going to tell us in general terms what the Christian life is like. 
Um, and, and the path that we should do, what, what is the way of Christ? What is, what is the, that, that uh, calling for the Christian? In general terms, uh, what does Christ want from us uh, in terms of how we live and move? But then when it comes down to that third level, well, that's a little bit intrusive. The second one's kind of intrusive too, and we're not always thrilled with that. Um, especially when it comes into conflict in major areas, and I've done that to you repeatedly, um, and demonstrated how much American we are and how little Christian we are in much of our attitudes and way of living. But when it comes down to specifics, now, how do I apply God's word to this circumstance that we are confronted, whether it be in your family, as a church, as an individual, um, we seldom ask the question, as I've shared in the past, and when we do, we would really respond more like this than anything else. But yes, there is application of biblical truth to daily decisions. What thing does God want you to do? And it is error for us to think that somehow... if we have leadership praying for us um, and this general understanding of how God wants the Christian to live, that then within that realm I can do whatever I want. And, and you really don't have that liberty to do that. Um, you have the freedom to make that decision, but do not ex- anticipate God's blessing upon that. You do technically have the liberty to do whatever you want. God has granted that to you but not the liberty to be blessed in doing whatever you want. And so God does have very specific application. And so if you come to me in talking about how you want to raise your kids, how you want to spend your money, your marital relationship, your work, um, and you have a specific, I can apply God's word to it because it is applicable. It is the thing you should do. You might say, Pastor, that's, a, that's pretty idealistic. Well, you're not the first one to call me that. I've been called that all my ministry life. Um, that's idealistic. You'll never be able to sustain that over your ministry. You'll figure it out. And I've had pastors tell me that. You'll figure that out later on. Um, I haven't figured it out, folks. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that, that we can pay the bills without me talking about money every Sunday. Does, doesn't that seem to work? We don't pass the plate. We don't do any of that. We don't have a problem paying bills. Some churches do. You don't hear me. I don't gripe about it. I don't have to. I'm an idealist. I don't think that's my job. Period. We have in our church a requirement that half of you or more be here for us to conduct business in a church business meeting. And you can't believe how many pastors says, oh, that's ridiculous. There's no way you're going to get more than half your people at business meetings. Really? How many years has it been? <laughs> I think we only had to call somebody in one time at one meeting. We had to call someone to come <laughs> to get us to quorum once in 20 years. That's because of vacations. That July meeting is always a tough one. <laughs> I was called idealist. And I was told that as I mature in the ministry, get a little experience on my belt, I'll get rid of those. And praise God that hasn't happened. I'm still an idealist. I still expect us, 
you, me, us as a church, to obey God at his word and to function the way God tells us to function. And so, um, yes, I feel, I know, I am affirmed in my faith that the principles and instructions of God's word fit every circumstance that we are engaged with in our decision-making process, in our struggles with life, in the, in the problems and the sins and the, and the horrors that we engage in and discover and find and, and have to deal with in life. God has the answers. That's not been the problem. It wasn't the problem for Judah. God had an answer. And Judah knew where to find the answer. I need to go to Jeremiah. We need to go and talk to him and find out, what do we do now? This guy came down and murdered Gedaliah, our leader. He murdered some Babylonians right at the same time. And when Nebuchadnezzar gets a hold of this, and Nebuchadnezzar, for that matter, and they find out about this, we're doomed. They're going to come down and think that we did all this. And they didn't think God could control that. But they did go to the man of God and say, what do we do? We have this dilemma. What do we do? How should we be living? And what should we do about this thing? What should we do about this? They had already been formulating their own plan. And maybe that was the problem. And God, in chapter 43, of course, uh, Blatantly, I'm sorry, later, um, in verse 20 of chapter 42, God says, For you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us, the Lord your God. And according to all the Lord your God says, so declare it to us, and we will do it. God knew their hypocrisy before they disobeyed. Surprise. Most individuals that want to engage with people of, of spiritual leadership want affirmation of what they've already formulated in their own mind and heart of what they intend to do. They really come to me wanting me to give some kind of Bible verse to affirm what they've already decided they want to do. And I really believe that's what was going on in the hearts of these men in their declaration. They knew this was important to do, they recognized it, that they needed, they needed prayerful leadership. They needed to know uh, what, is, what, what is the way of God for us now, and specifically, how do we resolve this, this problem we are confronted with right now? What, what's the one thing we should do right now uh, with regard to the issue confronting us? And they already had it formulated in their mind. They already had a strategy of man, and now here comes God, and we have Boom, a clash. And this is the unexpected, maybe expected result. <laughs> they haven't had a lot of engagement with Jeremiah. Remember, it was mostly limited to the men of Jerusalem, and they're gone. So these guys' engagement with Jeremiah is maybe starting over again. And are we going to start over again with, with disregard and then disdain? Um, no, we're not going to go through that. Those deeds, we have some other ones. And so we find that they come and they ask these three things and this is the three things. And so Jeremiah says, okay, you asked me, I'm going to pray 
And whatever God declares, I will give it to you. I'm going to give you all of it. I'm holding nothing back. I'm going to give you what the word of the Lord declares. And don't you blame me if you don't like it. The Lord is the one who is faithful. The Lord is the one who is true. And, um, and so they say, we're going to do it. Whatever God comes back, whatever you tell me, I'll do that. You tell us that, I'll do it. I will follow whatever you say God wants me to do, what wants us to do, uh, we'll do it. And, um, and, and uh, they even, in, in verse 6, almost um, use a vow format, is what they do. It says, whether we like it or whether we don't like it, um, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting because literally it says, it doesn't say whether we please or displease us, it says whether it is good or evil. You see, they had already formulated in their mind what the good word of the Lord would be and what the evil word of the Lord would be. They had already formulated in their mind that it would be good if God agreed with my plan and it's evil if he tells me to do something other than what I've already conjectured. can't tell you how many times people have point blank just told me, well, that's foolishness, after I told them, thus says the Lord from his word. That's, we can't do that. Well, that's what the Bible says. We can't do that. It's not pleasing, it's evil. Even calling it foolishness. And the horror of calling God's word foolishness is the wisdom of men. And so, they set up this vow. No matter what, whether it's good or evil, we're going to obey the voice of the Lord, and now they move it from your God to our God. Another good step. You know, when they come to Jeremiah, they pray to your God. And Jeremiah says, no, I'm going to pray to your God. He's your God too. And now they're finally using the word our God in this verse. So we're saying, okay, great. And um, so Jeremiah goes, prays, 10 days. Um, boy, that's, that wouldn't, most of you wouldn't tolerate me waiting 10 days to answer your question. <laughs> Our idea of some, who, it was Chris and David <laughs> on the computer. Pastor, can you wait a half hour to send your email? I was like, you know what? In my life, people's emergencies aren't my emergencies. And if they can't wait a half hour, I'm the wrong person to call. Um, because I don't have a cell phone, so it might be a half hour, it might be three or four, it might be a couple of days before I get to hearing the message on the machine um, or reading an email. Um, and so our idea uh, is very modern that we have to solve our problems. And I think it's derived from TV because, you know, we, we grew up on all those shows that every problem was solved within 30 minutes. You know, we watched The Brady Bunch, every problem was solved in 30 minutes. And technically, it was like 20-some minutes because of all the commercials. You know, we watched Partridge Family. Every problem was solved. Leave it to Beaver. Every problem was solved in a half hour. And uh, so, so my generation started that whole idea, that concept. And so they want to know what to do. And uh, the indication is they've already formulated a plan. They might even already be packing. And Jeremiah says, I'll get back with you. I'm not sure many of you would tolerate that. I'll get back with you. 
I won't tell you when. I'll get back with you when I have an answer. Ten days. Can you imagine that? That means they have to have crossed a Sabbath somewhere where they were all to gather together for worship. Ten days. I'll get back with you. Let us be patient and see what the Lord has to say. And impatience is one of the banes of our computer age. Come on, you know you can't wait 30 seconds for a download, Hartley. You get the eebie-jeebies. Just, what's wrong? Something's wrong. 30 seconds. 10 days, the Lord comes and says, this is what I have for them. Stay where you are. If you stay where you are, I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. Do nothing. Stay where you are. Live. And I will plant you. I will establish you. I will build you. What an incredible statement. That's not building buildings. That's building them as a people. I will multiply you. I will lift you up if you'll just stay where you are. I won't let you be pulled down. I won't let you be plucked up. And Notice, he says, I have relented concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Um, I've already poured out my wrath. It is, it is accomplished. And, and so now um, I, I am relenting. I, I, I'm not in a disposition to pour out more upon you. So now that you've come and asked in, in this fashion and represented yourself at least as being interested in knowing what God wants for your life, now, I, I don't really want to harm you. And so I want to plant you. I want to build you. I want to bless you. All right? And all you have to do is trust me, stay in the land. You have the whole region of Judah. Stay in your possession. This is your inheritance. This is where I will deal with you in a loving way. Stay where you are. Stay content. Be unafraid. Trust me. In all the junk that's, that's going through your mind, and we are expert. In fact, maybe no one in this church is more expert at conjuring up imaginary problems than me. I don't sleep at night sometimes because I'm imagining things of what could go wrong. Sometimes people miss one service and I don't know where they are. Oh, they're leaving. They're, oh, and I can think of every reason why. I have an incredible ability to do that. My capacity seems unlimited sometimes. You're smiling, but it's not fun. It's not funny either. It's sad. And then to realize, wait a minute, you know, the Lord has been so faithful, and, you know, sometimes things go wrong, but God is still faithful, and there are answers. And, and none of these problems that I deal with within our church, within my family, um, even with building a house, none of them are unovercomable by God. They might be disquieting or troubling or I don't have a quick answer in Kirk 
But God doesn't have that problem. And so the first requirement is that I got it's the Lord's. I got, you know, the Lord takes care of his own. And if we really believe that, then there shouldn't be disquieted nights. There shouldn't be sleeplessness. And so God comes in and says, just, just be content to trust me and nothing else. I'm not telling you to arm yourself. I'm not telling you, I'm not opening, I'm not going to show you every step of the way from here to there. I'm just telling you that I will take care of you every step. For now, the only step I require you is sit still and know that I am God. Can you do that? Can you start right now with that requirement? Sit still and know that I'm God. I'll bless you. Just sit still. Pretty simple. Just stay where I can bless you. Well, we're going to start over. I'm not holding Jerusalem's behavior. I'm not holding their disregard and their disdain. I'm not holding that against you. And we're going to start fresh right here and now. And I'm telling you, just stay in the land. And I'll take care of you. That's the one thing you should do. Stay in the land. Real simple. Real direct. Real pointed. With a promise. Promise with a condition. I'll show you mercy. And you're going to just develop. And then specifically. So there's a general statement. I'm not going to be against you if you stay in the land. I will build you. I'll plant you. But now, very specifically. So here's the the first question was the way we should go. The way you should go is be still and know I'm God. Stay home. Stay in your land. This is your inheritance. I've gathered you out of Edom, out of Moab. You've been delivered from Ammon for you to stay here. Stay here. That's the way you should go. Now, what thing should you do? Don't Be afraid of Babylon. They are my servants. You're afraid of them. Stop being afraid of your imaginary enemies, of your imagined scenarios. And this is their imagination. They are thinking, oh, the Babylonians are going to hear about us. We're doomed. We're doomed. They're going to come down and slaughter us all. And it's going to be Jerusalem all over again. God says, no. That only happened because of their disregard and their disdain. You don't have to. That's not my regular. uh, Wrath is not my regular, normal attitude towards my people. After they disregard and disdain my word, yes, it becomes wrath. But I'm done with that for now, so let's start fresh. I want you to stay in the land, and I want you to do nothing about Babylon, because I'm in charge of Babylon. God's in charge of Babylon, people. You don't have to do anything. They won't destroy you. They'll understand. They'll figure out, I'll... Reveal it to them if necessary. In fact, I've got my best and brightest right up there in his court. Yeah, there's a guy named Daniel up there in Babylon. 
He may have gone the first or the second, um, not the third. He's been up there for a little while. He wasn't there in the third one, the third uh, siege. He was gone after either the first or second siege. And so he's been up there in Babylon. He's already established himself. It didn't take long. Read the book of Daniel. See how fast it is from the time they arrived before he demonstrated his superiority over his peers by eating just pulse, um, fruits and vegetables, and not eating the king's meat, and that they elevate him. I mean, it was like that. Daniel's already recognized in Babylon, and these people don't know it. They don't know what God's doing through men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abagnego. They don't know what's going on in Babylon. They are conjuring up a fear that isn't real because they don't trust their God. They don't know what God's doing other places. You don't know how he's working in hearts and lives and nations and world and, and, and all over. We don't know. He simply says, trust me. Don't be afraid. Stop imagining every horrible scenario that could happen and then devising plans against them and to resolve them without me in the picture at all. Get out of the way. Let's stop letting your fear dictate these things to you. Trust me. Walk in my ways. Be still and know that I am the Lord. I am God. And do not be afraid. Be content to stay here and without fear. Remember last week we talked about three enemies of the church. Babylon was one of them, but it was the one you're supposed to embrace, and I compared that to persecution. And the fact is, is the greatest fear facing American church today is we're afraid of having our Christianity cost us something. And God says, why are you afraid of that? probably the best thing that could happen to you. And it is. It is one of the powerful ways God has historically multiplied his church, is to encounter severe opposition. But we're afraid of it. Let's just be honest. We're afraid of it. What's it going to cost me? Oh, you know, it could be costing me my job. It could cost me my comforts. That's worse than your job. cost me relationships. We're driven by that fear and we compromise our faith for that reason. So here's what was going on. God knows what's going on in their heart. So he gives them this deal. He says, let's start fresh. I'll, I'll answer your question. The way you should go, what you should do right now about Babylon. Resolve both of those. Trust me. Obey me. But um, I know what's going on in your heart right now. Now, when you come to pastor, when you come to me, <laughs> I don't know why I referred to myself in third person. When you come to me, um, I don't know what's going on in your heart. Usually because you don't give me 10 days to pray about it, find out what's going on, what's really going on, because most of your decision-making, you're trying, you, usually I'm the last one on the list you, that if I am talked to, and I have to give a pretty quick response, and that, that's maybe why God says I'm supposed to be constant in prayer, uh, but um, I don't know what's going on in your heart. All I can do is go by what you say. And what they have said is pretty good. I would say, hey, 
praise the Lord. I would be rejoicing that they, uh, maybe there's hope, there's, there's something, they, they're seeing it. But God says, um, Jeremiah, it's really a hypo- hypocritical thing they're doing. They really don't have any intention of obeying me. They have no intention of following what you tell them. And God reveals this to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah shares, because Jeremiah said, I'm going to share with you everything God reveals to me. And so what does he share with them? You're a hypocrite. You come saying you want to know what God wants, and you're going to do it no matter whether it's good or evil. Here I tell you something. Um, you think it's evil, but I'm telling you it's good, and you are in your heart already devising your own way, and I'm not affirming that device of yours and so now you're viewing my advice as evil and what do we find in their response right away in verse 2 of chapter 43 you speak falsely this is their accusation against jeremiah you're lying to me you're in cahoots with baruch nariah we all know that he is a collaborator with the babylonians Not only do we not trust God, we don't trust you. We don't trust God's servant. And we start hurling these accusations and condemnations upon the servant of the Lord because we didn't like the word of God that he had to declare and promised he would and did. Brother, and I want to share it. Too many pastors have experienced this, including this one, too many times. And we come to verse 4, and we do not find disregard for the Word of God. We don't really even find disdain for it. What we find is just pure disobedience to it. I don't like it. I'm not going to do it. And in the next verse... The statement, verse 4, So Jehanan, son of Kariah, all the captains of the forces and all the people would not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. So what did they do? In verse 7, it says they went to the land of Egypt. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. They went as far as Tapanis, which is one of the palaces of Pharaoh, uh, one of his uh, the way he governed his land, he had several palaces that he would frequent in, during this time, and this was one of his palace areas. And we find them heading all the way to there. And I want you to notice why they want to go there. They want to go there to avoid war, famine, destruction. Fear drove them to these distant places where they thought that they had safety under the net of Pharaoh, under the umbrella there. They thought they could avoid the rain. And God comes to Jeremiah, and they do a horrible thing, and they require, remember, the Babylonians say, Jeremiah, go wherever you want. Live wherever you please. Babylon, here. But if you're going to stay here, you know, advise Gedaliah. You know, stay there. Um, Jeremiah does that. But now Jeremiah isn't allowed to do it whatever he wants, and he's not, his hands aren't tied, literally, from the enemies. His hands aren't tied by God. His hands are tied by those who profess to be God's people, inhibit him, and restrict his movement, and say, you're going with us. 
and he gets drug along. But God there in Egypt says, I want you to take this and bury it in the courtyard. It's not really hide it. It's really just put it under the bricks, bury it out of sight. And so you're going to take this. And, and, and so um, <laughs> uh, he takes these large stones that are, and, and he puts them in their sight. So it's not really hiding them like hide and seek. They're watching. He lifts up some of the brickwork of the courtyard there. He digs a little hole. He plants those. He, 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 he buries them in the courtyard of Pharaoh. And he says, the king of Babylon is going to open up his command post right here on top of these rocks. Everything you feared that drove you to a disobedience is going to happen to you because of your disobedience. If you really wanted to avoid all the things you feared, you should have trusted in me. I can remove everything that brings fear in your heart. I can remove that. I can remove those obstacles. I can remove those enemies. I can, I can manage them. But you try to manage it yourself, and every fear you had is going to come down on your head. Everything, the famine, the sword, the pestilence, all of it. This was the promise of God. He would take out Egypt just to get this little clan of Judah punished. And this has nothing to do with the past disdain, the past <laughs> um, uh, disregard. This has to do with their disobedience, their own disobedience. And then we press into the future, and, and I didn't read this this morning because our time was shortened, but um, in chapter 44, I want you to look at the attitude of the people. This is what their heart really was about. Verse 16 of chapter 44, if you turn there, it says, As for the word, word, and this is people of Israel talking, As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, were well off and saw no trouble. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and been consumed by the sword and by famine. The women also said, and when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings to her, did we make cakes to her for her to worship her and drink, pour out drink offerings to her without our husband's permission? This was the attitude. They were like, they were total regression. And I need, to, need you to understand this, and I know my time is gone, um, but I have to complete this cycle for you to understand. Why is it so dangerous to disregard and then have disdain for and enter into disobedience of God's word? Because it's cyclical. It drives you into deeper disobedience. It drives you into deeper disregard. 
it drops you into deeper disdain and you enter into a pit and a mire that you just keep sucking down into like quicksand. The more you fight, the faster you fall. It gobbles you up and devours your heart, your mind, your life, your family, everything. It destroys you. These people that we started out, pastor, pray for me. Tell me what God wants and how to solve this problem. I'm not doing that. So what do you do? Because you've already disregarded, disdained, and disobeyed God's word, what do you do? You revert to the fullest acts of rebellion. These people didn't just ignore, didn't just disobey. They went the full circle and went all the way back to the very sins that caused the fall of Jerusalem. They went all the way back and said, you know, we were having a pretty good life till we tried to, until, no, you were having a life that God hated and punished you for, and now you think that that was the time when you were doing well. And so, in the end, all of this group, the entire remnant, would again be destroyed. And the man of God could not convince them differently. He tries to reason with them. Don't you know that those acts, that behavior, that disobedience, that that's what precipitated God's judgment? Don't you get that? No, they, in their foolish mind, had twisted it around. They had twisted history around. Imagine that. They had twisted the facts to meet their own, suit their own purposes. We don't do that anymore, do we? Twist the facts to suit our own interests. People do it all the time. Not just in the political realm. You do it all the time. I do it. To rationalize our disobedience to God's word. So we twist the facts. And he goes, you have just twisted the facts. That wasn't a wonderful time. That was the very time that God hated and created all these problems. It created the destruction. It incited him to wrath. And now you want to go back into it. And so all is lost. They had a chance to start fresh. They had a chance. And God said, if you were genuine in your request, I want to know what God wants. I want to know how he wants me to live. I want to know how to solve this problem. If you're genuine, God says, I'll take care of you. But if you're a hypocrite and and in your heart you've already devised your way, you're just looking for a stamp of approval from God, God's no fool. All things that are driving you to formulate your own solutions outside of God's word and spirit and his people, they're going to bring that very destruction on your head. 
And I want to share with you that I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in people who are leaders of this church. I've seen them speak fearfully of what would happen to their family if we actually did what the Bible said to do and so they'd leave. And then to watch their lives and their families be destroyed. And they are no more among us. Because they had too much fear to obey. They said, we will not listen to God's word. You have a chance to be fresh. God wants to bless you. He wants to have mercy on you. It demands one simple thing, obedience. To put some force behind the words, whatever you say, I'll do. The child who says that to a parent and then walks out and sneers and does whatever they want is not a child that any of us want to raise or live with. And it's not a people that God will tolerate. And so, let us not just use the words we want to obey God. Let us back it up by hearts and actions that reveal we trust the living Lord. And we are not afraid. For he is our strength.